Through the entirety of the night, a crowd of many thousands of people continued walking northward up the western shore of the Sea of Galilee. In the twilight's light, they could still see him, the teacher. He was tacking toward the north too, seated in the stern of Simon Peter's boat, seemingly headed toward the uppermost coast, perhaps near Bethsaida. As the darkness dropped, the boat, the disciples, the teacher all disappeared from the crowd's collective view from land. It didn't seem to matter to them. They continued on through the night, northward. Aboard the boat, Jesus had fallen asleep first. The disciples maintained a respectful silence in the face of his grief over his cousin's death. Peter, Andrew, James, and James's brother handled that night's sailing. Everyone else only woke up as the dawn lit. It was a beautiful-looking sort of morning. The eastern sky was purple right away, the water and western shoreline haunted by the rising of that soft, royal color. The sea smelled particularly lovely that morning. It was a pleasure for everyone to wake to the scene before them. Dead ahead, the shore far to the west of Bethsaida, a light onshore wind was taking the boat in. As the light continued to rise, as they neared the moment of beaching, the teacher and his disciples were amazed at the picture before them. From the top of the rolling hills, all the way down to the edge of the shoreline, the coastline was carpeted with enormous crowds. They stood almost as if in rank all facing men, women, and children toward the arrival of Simon Peter's tired old boat. The boat beached. This crowd was pressing instantly forward. The disciples and the teacher stepped off over the bow onto the rockyish stretch of gray beach, the nearest town far to their right. And when Jesus disembarked, he saw the large crowd, understood their long, all-night march, and his heart was touched with pity for them because they seemed to him like sheep without a shepherd. It was later that night, after all that was to happen, that he spoke that particular phrase to Peter, who later spoke it for recording to our friend John Mark. Sheep without a shepherd, Jesus had said. Peter could tell that he was moved even in saying it, he had heard Jesus use that simile before, I shall be like a shepherd, but he had never seen him so moved by the imagery of the sheep themselves. Months later in Jerusalem, he would say this, The shepherd calls his own sheep by name and leads them out of the fold, and when he has driven all his own flock outside, he goes in front of them himself, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. They will never follow a stranger. Indeed, they will run away from him, for they do not recognize strange voices. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd will give his life for the sake of his sheep. I am the good shepherd, and I know those that are mine, and my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I am giving my life for the sake of the sheep." From the shoreline, Jesus begins walking past the rushes, bushes, and scrubby trees and up into the golden hills above that stretch of coast. 
The crowd follows in his train. They come over a rise, and Jesus continues walking through the meadows and then up over the next set of hills and rises. The sea is out of view behind them now. The whole view ahead is of the brightening blue sky overhead, uh, coated with thin clouds and the rolling hills and vast inland meadows. Jesus continues walking toward the northwest. The crowd, comfortable in his presence, simply continues to follow. And finally, mid-morning, and with not a word of explanation to his disciples as to the meaning of this location, he suddenly stopped in a golden, gently sloping meadow and settled down to teach the crowd about many things. And in this way, the mid-morning and the forenoon passed. Lunchtime, too, came and went so. The heat of the day continued rising and finally plateaued. It was an average sort of hot, yet beautiful, North Galilean day. As the day wore on, his disciples came to him, at first slyly, then a little more forcefully, and said, We are right in the wilds here, and it's getting late. Let them go now, so they can buy themselves something to eat from the farms and villages around here. Jesus cast a glance to left, and then to right at the rolling countryside, and then looked back at them. He replied, You give them something to eat. The disciples considered for a moment. Then one of them somewhat sarcastically spoke up again. You mean we're to go and spend a, a half year's earnings on bread? Is that how you want us to feed them? Jesus was already talking to someone else and didn't hear this retort. He finished speaking to that person and turned back. What bread have you got? asked Jesus. Go have a look. So, with a great show of annoyance, the disciples, without thinking of it, moving out in the same six pairs as for their recent adventures, walked out into the midst of the crowds. They would approach toward likely-looking groups of people, large families, obvious traveling parties, and say things like this, Did you happen to bring any food with you? Have you a hamper of something you could share? Do you know of anyone who's brought anything? And the answers during those next 30 minutes of combing their way through the crowds went mostly like this. No. Sorry. No. Not a thing. Who's asking anyway? Until finally, unhelpfully and from a little boy, yes, some lunch. You may have it if you like. And so when they had found out, they came back and told Jesus, now with a great deal of sarcasm, we have five loaves and two fish. And standing there, just back of them, stands a little boy who is visibly, absolutely delighted to be of service to Jesus. Jesus and he smile at each other knowingly. They both know that he is about to be up to something. Then Jesus directed the people to sit down in parties on the fresh grass and they threw themselves down in groups of fifty and a hundred. And from where he stands, let's see it for ourselves. Starting right here at his feet, following the undulations of the Meadowland slope, there are somewhere between one and two hundred of these seated parties. 
They're sitting in the mid-length golden green grasses, surrounded by wildflowers. They are chatting wonderingly to each other in a hum of voices. The clouds overhead keep throwing large patches of shade across the groups. The colors of their cloaks are like a rainbow, all up the slope. A warmish breeze is coming up out of the southeast. The whole meadow suddenly quiets as Jesus lifts his hands. Then Jesus took the five loaves and the two fish and, looking up to heaven, thanked God. After all, it is natural to be thankful for a miracle. Because, after all, it's important to remember that when Jesus first felt his own hunger pangs that afternoon, he already had this whole afternoon's doings in mind and was already thankful for the results to follow and thus open the lunch with an already accomplished prayer of thanksgiving. All of that is important for the casual reader to note. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to distribute to the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. Andrew, the brother of Simon Peter, stepped forward first. Let's follow him out into the crowd. He had happened to notice a family of his friends was sitting over on the far left. He went straight over to them first. He carried the basket of bread and fish underneath his arm, trying to maintain a front that all of this made sense to him. He arrived, received a thanks, and then headed back. Passing past his brother on his first trip out, then John, Andrew returned to the spot where Jesus stood. He waited in line behind disciples 10, 11, 12. He anticipated the bread and fish must now be gone. Yet, arriving back to the front of the line, to Jesus, being greeted by that old smile, he simply received again another brimming basket. He went and passed this basketful to another group of strangers this time, and then, pondering to himself, returned again. And there went Peter again, and John, and James, and two, Bartholomew, Judas, Philip, other Judas, and other Simon. Andrew got his third full basket and took it out again. And finally, he was in it, in the miracle. He started to feel that low-growing sense of something supernatural. He began to realize he was walking in the heavenly realms. The work began to become a joy to him. Andrew now felt himself to be the choice servant of a rather glorious king. And in this way, everybody ate and was satisfied. And that last sentence is not an overstatement of affairs. All the people lounged around the meadow for hours, feeling overfull, stuffed to the gills, that sort of satisfied. In fact, afterwards, the disciples, working in pairs again, collected 12 baskets full of pieces of bread and fish that were left over. Matthew, a numbers man, began tallying. There were 5,000 men who ate the loaves. And if he hadn't been so silly as to forget to number the women and children, he might have concluded the final count was in the 10 to 12,000 range. But sadly, he was so silly. And the day wasn't even over. You see, directly after this, Jesus made his disciples get aboard the boat and go on ahead to Bethsaida on the other side of the lake, while he himself sent the crowds home. 
meaning the disciples headed out straight away to the south. Jesus himself then followed them back to the shore in the company of the crowds. It was a delightful sort of southward meander. They retraced the earlier hike back over the same ridgelines, down through the same valleys, over and across the same meadows. The light of the day slowly started to fail. By the time of sunset, Jesus and the crowds had reached the shoreline. And when he had sent the last of the people on their way, he went back up the hillside to pray. The moonrise finds him seated in the soft grass, leaning his back against a boulder, lost in conversation with his father. And the night came on, full and moonlit. When it grew late, the boat, Simon Peter's, filled with the twelve, was in the middle of the lake. And remember, Jesus was by himself on land. The moon by now was throwing a long, shimmering line across the water. It perfectly lit the scene for Jesus to watch his friends. And he could see them straining at the oars, for the wind was dead against them. So let's be with them. For them, it was almost precisely like the night of the storm he'd calmed. The same sort of sudden onrush of wind and waves, the same sudden feeling of impending disaster arising, except... This time, even if they'd thought to turn to him, to try to trust him in the storm, he wasn't with them. He was somewhere back up there. And so, in the small hours, having seen their troubles and standing to his feet on the hillside, saying a quick goodbye to his father, he went towards them. He walked down a narrow footpath, over across the shoreline's trunk road and out over the stony, rocky shore toward the water's edge. He never broke stride, approaching. He continued out, walking on the waters of the lake, intending to come alongside his friends. The pitch and trough of the windswelled waves made the walking far more difficult than it might have been, but he was unbothered. He kept a steady pace out across the sea's surface toward the boat, navigating toward them by the reflected light of the moon. From their side, here's what they saw. First, a speck of white in the distance, seeming to rise and fall with the waves, yet growing. Then, something like the shape of a man, yet on the water. How could that be possible? But when they realized that they were seeing an actual man walking on the water, they thought he was a ghost and screamed out, for they all saw him and they were absolutely terrified. Jesus approached nearer. With an air of quiet confidence, he stood out there, waiting upon the sea, rising and falling. And he spoke quietly to them quiet in contrast to the waves and the wind. It's all right. It's I myself. Don't be afraid. And he climbed aboard the boat with them, and the wind dropped. All at once, glassy seas. But they were scared out of their wits, even still. They had not had the sense to learn the lesson of the loaves, not yet.
Even that miracle had not opened their eyes to see who he was. Even that miracle. My dear friends, as you and I listen yet again to these familiar accounts, are our eyes and ears open? Have we had the sense to learn the lesson of the loaves? And that night upon the water, his walk out? Well, I suppose the week ahead will yield our answer.